Eating healthy, living healthy, being healthy. This is the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast. A podcast focused on holistic wellness and teaching you about incorporating the keto diet and lifestyle changes to achieve an energetic balance. Teaching you how to live now so you don't struggle to live later. And now, your host, Jessica Ankaya. Jessica here. Welcome back to another episode of Keto and Energetic Balance for you. I have with me Ben Azadi. Did I say that right? Azadi? You said it right. You nailed it. (laughs) Awesome. He has a website called benazadi.com and he wrote uh, a book called Keto Flex, which I see in your background. (laughs) And he also has a program on his website called Keto Camp which is very interesting. So we're going to talk about him and we're, you know, talk about his website and his rendition of the keto diet and what he thinks about that and maybe even get into a little bit of fasting. So anyway, let's get started. So what's up, Ben? How's everything going? It's going well, Jessica. Grateful to be here with you and your platform and your awesome audience. So thank you for the invitation. Oh yeah, of course. So Tell me what got you started into keto? What was your initial trigger to start the keto diet inspiration? I should say. I discovered keto and intermittent fasting simultaneously back in 2013. At this time, I was actually transitioning away from a vegan diet. I was a vegan plant-based hundred percent for a year and a half. And in the beginning of it worked very well for me. I felt really good on it, eating a lot more vegetables and fruits. But then after a few months, my health started to decline. My energy levels dropped. I was really sore from workouts. Hormones felt wonky, but I was very dogmatic about being a vegan. (laughs) I was preaching it to everybody. So I kind of put myself in a box. And then about 15 months into it, I realized, okay, this is not working for me. I got to research some things outside this vegan box that I put myself into and then I came across the work of uh, individuals like Paul Check, Jimmy Moore, who I know you've had on, on your show as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who's, who's, a, who's now a great friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Daniel Pompa, Dave Asprey, and a few other people out there that were teaching the dangers of actually long-term veganism and how there's a, another process inside the body called ketosis and how it made a lot of sense to me. Our ancestors were doing keto and they did intermittent fasting. So I decided to actually give it a shot transition from the vegan approach. And it was the first time in a very long time, I guess, ever that I ever really experienced true cellular health. Uh, Because years before that, Jessica, when I was 24 years old, back in 2008, I went through a whole weight loss transformation where I was obese, and I lost 80 pounds went to being fit 170 pounds. However, I didn't do it in a healthy way. So it wasn't until I did keto and started to implement keto and fasting that I understood actually true cellular health. Just because somebody's fit and has six-pack abs does not mean they're healthy. Those are not usually synonymous. Yes, you could be healthy and have a six-pack, but that doesn't necessarily have to be exclusive. So it wasn't until I brought in keto that I really understood what health felt like and looked like. Right. Yeah. Keto is so wonderful for your mitochondria and just really helps to fuel yourselves more than any, I feel like any other dietary eating plan. So I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool. Absolutely. When you burn fat instead of sugar, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So you mentioned being a vegan. What are your thoughts about people that have, you know, Will Cole has that book called Ketotarian, 
Mm-hmm. And I've read that book and I also got his uh, newer book on intuitive fasting. So what is your thoughts on keto vegetarianism, not necessarily keto vegan, but keto vegetarian? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Keto vegetarianism is much better and sustainable versus a keto vegan approach, a keto vegan approach. Now it can be done. It's just very challenging and you're very limited. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dr. Will Cole, who's also a friend of mine, has that great resource, Ketotarian, awesome book to check out. Yeah, uh, so I think it can be done with that, right? You introduce some eggs, you introduce some seafood, uh, and, and you could get some of those saturated fats, some of those healthy fats from these animal products that are not necessarily chicken or beef. Uh, with that being said, I do think it's important to um, mix things up with your nutrition and your diet. I think there's a great it's a great to be a ketotarian. It's great to be keto. It's great to be carnivore, but I, I like mixing it up and rotating our nutrition or the foods we're eating for more of a longevity approach and more of a sustainability approach. So the ketotarian approach is great, but I still think you should rotate that with different approaches as well. Yeah, no, I agree. So for those who are keto vegan, it seems like the protein sources are very limited and it's, it's tempeh or tempeh or tofu or because you really can't eat a whole lot of beans. So it's really hard yeah. to keep the carbs low enough to get in when, in my opinion, it's hard, you know, for ketosis. Yeah, but- it's harder for sure. And then you also have to keep in mind that plant protein is not the same as animal protein. It's not complete. So you would have to kind of mix things up and get creative with plant protein versus just having a piece of steak. And then also when we think about plant protein, there's also anti-nutrients in them that prevent you from getting a lot of the vitamins and minerals and even the protein. So for some really great vegan and also vegetarian sources of protein, you mentioned already a couple. I like, I like tempeh, I like natto. These are fermented soys. Those are going to be good. So that would be my go-to. If I was a vegan, I would do that with uh, maybe some B vitamin supplementation and some other things to kind of fill in those nutritional gaps. Yes. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. That's that I'm sure that's very helpful for those who want to do a keto vegan approach. Mm-hmm. So tell me how many carbs do you feel is ideal in, in your overall? I mean, do you like to stick to net carbs, total carbs, and do you limit maybe limit it? I know a lot of people will limit it to their approach is like 20 total carbs or less. So yep. what is your approach? I used to talk a lot about net carbs and I've changed my mind ever since. I think it just makes it a little bit more complicated. Not that you, 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 you could definitely do it with net carbs, but I like more of the total carb approach just to be completely transparent. What they see is what they get. Um, so for most people, 50 grams, 50 grams is the upper limit total per day. Granted, those carbs shouldn't come from sugar or a lot of fruit or starchy vegetables, they should come from green leafy vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, and you have a little bit more flexibility. Most people could hit that 50 gram limit per day and still stay in ketosis. Some people, to your point, Jessica, they need to take that even further down to 20 grams or less to actually get into ketosis and stay there. It's going to be different, but for most people, 50 is going to be the cap. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because and I think a lot of people say 20 total carbs, because that's just to make sure people get into ketosis, even the people, people with different metabolisms. So, and I'm sure that's like a foulproof way of getting into ketosis just to stay 20 carbs per day. Yeah. That'll get you in there. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I, I typically like to stay a little bit on the foot, like around 50 sometimes, or it just depends on the time of my cycle or whatever. So Right. That's important. Yep. 
Yeah. So speaking of that, so do you advocate for women, like say, I don't know, seven days prior to their cycle or are you, do you advocate for them to increase their carbs prior to that time? Or what is your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Exactly that. So in chapter 12 of my book, it's an entire chapter on keto and fasting for women. And then I talk about menstruating women versus postmenopausal women. So for the menstruating women, I give a week by week breakdown of what to do. And that was, that's one of the protocols, the week leading up to the period, the bleed week is the week that you want to actually build progesterone and have more healthy carbohydrates. You don't want to do too much fasting and you don't want to stay in ketosis. You want to actually flex out for those five to seven days. You want to take your carbohydrates above hundred grams and get them from healthy sources. And then once your period hits right back into strict ketosis, as many fasts as fasting as you want to do, granted, if, as long as you're getting good sleep. And then there's other you know, variables to, to consider. Like for example, day six through day 13, after the cycle is typically when women have the highest amount of testosterone and estrogen. So that's a good time to do more strength training, uh, build muscle, increase your protein, um, ask for a raise, speak on stages. I mean, you're going to have more confidence just granted because you're going to have more testosterone. So there's always little nuances there. But with this, with that being said, I do recommend being strict keto and don't practice any of these flexing strategies, at least for three months. Let your body feel what it feels like to be in ketosis and be a fat burner and then get keto adapted. And then you could start doing these flexing uh, approaches. Right. It's interesting that you say three months, you know, it's like some people have different, at least 30 days. And I've, I've seen that too, but I, I like that because it kind of gives you more time to, to get into that fat burning mode. I like that. Yeah. Well, the reason I, I, I don't like 30 days and look, 30 days is great. If you want to do 30 days, you're still going to benefit, but, but you're not going to be keto adapted yet. There's a difference between fat adaptation and keto adaptation. When you're in ketosis and you're verifying it by checking your, your ketones, you're fat adapted. That takes seven to 14 days, but that does not mean you're keto adapted. Keto adapted means now your mitochondria prefer ketones as their primary fuel source. And that typically takes eight to 12 weeks, sometimes sooner, sometimes longer. So I like being more disciplined in the beginning to get yourself keto adapted. And then we could start flexing in and out with different approaches that I talk about in the book. So if you're keto adapted, say you have a day where you have like a higher amount of carbs, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 total carbs. And then after a day, you check your ketones and they go back, you know, say you're not in ketosis anymore the next day, but then say you get back to strict keto that following next day. And then the day after that, you're back into ketosis. You go right into ketosis in and out. Cause that's what I find that my body does. It's like, I'll veer off maybe sometimes, you know, especially at the time of the cycle per month, I'll veer off like a day or two. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to have this a little more carbs. I need that right now. <laughs> and then I, after a day or so, or two or whatever, I, I get right back into ketosis once I get mm -hmm. back on it. So is that it's exactly what we want. That's metabolic flexibility. That's exactly what we want to achieve. That, that's the way to do it. You want to intentionally get yourself out of ketosis, go yeah. right back to strict keto and be right there within 48 hours, which is what you're doing. So that's perfect. Okay. Okay. Great. And what about keto carb cycling? I know I didn't put that in the initial questions, but what are your thoughts on keto carb cycling, especially after the first three months? Do you, do you advocate maybe like a day or two where you or three that people increase their carbs per week? And then, you know, you, yeah. 
That's exactly what keto flexing is. It's in, it's, it's, it's cycling carbohydrates. So there's in the book, there is a, in keto flex book, there's a protocol called five win one, which is one of the flexing uh, rules to follow. It's a seven day protocol and how it works is the first five in the five one one rule. The five is five days of intermittent fasting, 18, six eating keto friendly meals within your six hour eating window. So you're in ketosis for those five days. The one, the first one, is a 24 hour water fast where you're just going dinner to dinner or lunch to lunch or breakfast to breakfast to get more autophagy, more gut healing benefits, more fat loss. And then that final one in the 511 rule is a keto flex day. No fasting, you're gonna have breakfast, lunch and dinner and you're going to take your carbohydrates from 50 being the cap to over 100 to 100 and 150 grams of healthy carbohydrates to intentionally get out of ketosis. And then like what you're doing in a, within 48 hours, you should be right back in. So that's called the five one, one rule. It's one of the protocols in the book. Right. And so with your fasting, you talk about the 24, uh, 24 hour fasting. And do you, we said water fasting, do you advocate, I mean, what it, is it just strict water fasting or could we, could you also have not necessarily broth, but maybe MCT oil or coffee or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? With Yeah. It, it, if you want to get the most from the fast water, minerals, electrolytes, salt, that's it. But if you want to incorporate some coffee or some MCT oil, you, you can still get most of the benefits, but you would have to test MCT oil is fine for, for coffee. You would have to test your glucose, blood glucose, right before you have your cup of coffee. And then 30 minutes after for some people, they'll see a rise in glucose of over five points or more, which is negating some of the benefits like autophagy. When glucose goes up, autophagy, autophagy typically is going down. For some people, it's no issue. They could have the coffee. There's no rise in glucose, but you only know if you test. So I always tell people just test your glucose before 30 minutes after and see if that coffee is working for you or not. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Okay. I'm going to, yeah. So, so basically you just test 30 minutes before, and then if it goes up five points after 30 minutes, then you see then. Okay. I yeah. You, te you, you test right, right before you have the coffee and then 30 minutes after your first sip. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, if you see it go up five points or higher, then it could be breaking some of your fast. Exactly. Okay. So what about like in the coffee? I mean, what about like stevia? Do you, do you agree with that or like some kind of sweetener? I mean, but I'm sure if, if you use stevia, your, your sugars, your, your glucose may go up even more. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you would have, you had to test to know for sure. I, I like stevia. I think it's one of the better options versus like sucralose or Splenda, yeah. but uh, you have to test glucose to see what it's doing. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that when I fast. Cause I, I usually fast, you know, I, I do like my favorite type of fast is like a 36 hour or 24 hour. Oh, I'm nice. start doing that because I, I take coffee <laughs> every morning and um, I do too. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't raise my glucose when I have coffee. I have coffee with a little bit of some MCT oil. Sometimes I'll add some butter and some sea salt and uh, I don't see a rise in my glucose. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, it's like I don't want to enter when I fast. My whole point is for autophagy. And it's like, I don't want to interfere with that, but if it's not going to rise, raise my glucose and it's like, you know, then I'm not interfering with it. So I, I like right. that. Correct. Yeah. The, the only, the only thing that you might not benefit from, or I should say, I shouldn't say it that way. The only thing that you might get less benefits of 
would be some digestive healing. Just because when you have the coffee, you have the calories, it starts that digestive process. So you might lose some of the gut healing benefits versus if you just had water and some sea salt. Uh, but you're still able to get most of those results as long as you're not seeing that glucose spike. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's great information. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and also in your book, and I can't wait to get it, you have a section because I was, I was previewing it and I saw you have a section on calories and you have also a section on throw your scale out. Let's, let's first delve into the calories. What are your thoughts about calories on keto? Definitely limit calories. Um, you know, cause it seems like to me, I feel like that goes hand in hand. I mean, or if you want to lose weight, what, what are your thoughts? I, I don't like to focus on calories in the book. I talk about why calories do matter. They're not that important. There's more important things than to focus on versus calories like cell metabolism, hormones, inflammation. I do recommend tracking your macros, specifically your carbohydrates in the beginning to make sure you're not going over 50 grams of carbs per day. But like you said, naturally, when you're starting to eat more fat and protein, less carbs, you're going to eat less food. You're going to snack less often. You're going to be more satiated and full. So I think the whole calories in, calories out conversation, it's just a big distraction. And there's a lot, there's two camps out there that argue back and forth. You know, it's all about calories for weight loss. And the other camp says, no, it's more complicated that, than that. And, and I agree with the latter because the body is not as simple as just a math equation or a bank account. It's a very complex chemistry lab. And I've learned this over the years because I used to teach the calories in versus calories out approach for many, many years. And so I realized it's just doing my, my audience a big disservice because I'm not teaching them about cells and hormones and metabolism. That's more important. As the body gets healthy and reduces inflammation, the weight will come off. It'll come off as a side effect because that's how the body works. We don't lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy to lose weight. Exactly. And I always, I always like to tell my patients, it's like keto is more than just a diet. It's a lifestyle. And you're, I mean, <laughs> you can lose weight just eating like a, like maybe just two small cookies a day, you know, but it's, it's, it's about supercharging your mitochondria and just helping, like you said, inflammation and that sort of thing. So I'm right. completely agree with that. That's, that's great. So I like the throwing out your scale chapter, as I said, as well. So what, what are your thoughts about weighing yourself and how often should people be weighing themselves when they're doing keto? Yeah, that's a good question because a lot of people, they're weighing themselves all the time. I know when I was going through my transformation every day, I stood on that scale. Uh, the, 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 the problem though, Jessica, is, is this, the number on the scale is going to fluctuate for many reasons, right? For example, if you have your monthly cycle, if you're going through your, your bleed week, you're going to retain more water, it'll show on the scale. Or if you're sore from a workout, you're going to retain more water, it'll show on the scale. Do you actually gain fat? No, it's just water retention. So I recommend, yeah, take your weight day one and then give it a good seven weeks and then step back on the scale. The, the scale should not determine whether or not your approach is working for you. What is more important, and I talk about this in that chapter, What's more important are non-scale victories. How do your clothes fit? Are they fitting better? What about your body fat percentage? Get that done. Get some measurements done. Take some photos. Do you have more confidence? Is your sleep better? Is your skin improving? Are you going more regularly to the bathroom? These are what's called non-scale victories. And you can take it up a notch and get some lab work done. I know that you're, you're a fan of that being a, an MP. Get some lab, lab work done. You know, Look at 
uh, homocysteine, look at C-reactive protein, fasting insulin, A1C, look at these inflammatory markers and see if that's improving. That's more important than the number on the scale. The body will get to its goal weight as you continue to get healthy. Just focusing on the scale will discourage you and lead you to probably giving up. So I'm not a big fan of that scale approach. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> I like I like that. And I like how you mentioned um, lab markers as measurements. And, you know, it's so important. You know, I've seen people reverse their diabetes, well, type two diabetes with keto. And, you know, yeah. that I've taken off metformin and, you know, different other oral hypoglycemic agents from doing keto. So it's just, yep. that's, it's, you're right. It's more than just the scale. So it's awesome. Amen. <laughs> Exactly. Preach. <laughs> All right. So let me see what else here. What are your thoughts about fasting? We'll just talk a little bit about fasting and then we'll wrap it up. What are your thoughts about fasting for um, extended periods? And what's the longest that you have fasted? Mm, the longest I've fasted is five days, five day water fast. Uh, I think that's a good approach to do once a year, but you kind of have to build up to it you have to make sure you're building up that fasting muscle because it is a muscle you want to flex and build up. So maybe you start fasting with 14 hours a day, and then you build up to 18 hours and eventually you do a 24 hour fast. And then you do what, what Jessica is doing, like a 36 hour fast and a 48 hour fast. And then you could go for that three to five day extended fast, but you got to make sure if you do do a longer fast, it's a good idea to work with somebody, understand your numbers, your glucose and ketones. You, you don't want to see your ketones go above 8.0. You don't want to see your glucose drop below, you know, 50 during this block fast, which, which can be an issue. Now it's not common for that to happen, but it's good to look at your numbers to make sure you're seeing a good trend. The benefit of a block fast, which is I, I categorize a block fast, AKA a extended, extended water fast as three or more days. The benefit is you get this maximum autophagy effect. Autophagy is your body's process of recycling damaged cell components and accumulating toxins. It's kind of like an intracellular Pac-Man going within your cells, fixing out broken mitochondria and, and regenerating different cells. And it goes a step further when the body has determined that a cell has no function, it's called a senescent cell, also known as a zombie cell. Then the innate intelligence in the body signals for apoptosis, which is programmed cell death cell suicide, and it gets rid of that cell altogether. And then it creates a new cell, a stem cell. And I always explain a stem cell, like um, somebody who just graduated from college and they just landed their first job. They're fresh, they're motivated, they're ready to put in some work. So your body produces a stem cell, this college student, and it's being directed to wherever your body needs it, the liver, the eyeballs, the heart, the brain. And that's all happening during a fast. Yes, you get autophagy during 16, 18 hours. You start to get it during 16, 18 hours, but you can get this maximum autophagy as you go longer with the fast. It's a great way to prevent diseases like cancer. There's a great doctor out there. He wrote a book called Cancer as a Metabolic Disease, Dr. Thomas Seafried from Boston College. And here's what he said. He said, if you completed a seven-day water-only fast once per year, you would reduce your chances of cancer by 95%. That is a very smart man saying a powerful st a statement right there. And that's because of the maximum autophagy. So that's why I love doing that about once a year. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's easier. I mean, it's easier said than done. I mean, I've made it probably four days <laughs> with That's a awesome. fast, extended fast and it's, it's, it's very difficult and it is a muscle and you have to learn different strategies for hunger. And what are your strategies for hunger during fasting? What, what do you like to do? Well, hunger is important to understand that it's a hormone ghrelin, the hunger hormone ghrelin that I always mention as a gremlin, because when a gremlin's around, it's like, you're annoying, get away. Same thing with your hunger pangs, ghrelin. But all hormones are pulsatile. They spike and go back down. They spike and go back down. The hunger hormone is included here. So when you experience hunger, ghrelin is actually a great thing to experience. Ghrelin is an, an antioxidant, stimulates your brain cells. It helps you stay focused and alert. But that ghrelin will uh, gradually decrease and go back down to baseline. So what I recommend is keeping yourself busy, go for a walk, you know, listen to one of Jessica's podcast episodes, uh, do something to distract you. Maybe it's a workout after 10, 15 minutes, ghrelin will drop down and you could continue fasting as you ride that fasting wave or hunger wave, excuse me. Now, if the hunger is still getting the best of you, I've seen uh, clinically with a lot of my students that if you just took a tablespoon of coconut oil and just ate that, it calms the hunger. Also, you could have some coffee for a lot of people. It suppresses appetite as well. But understand that it's normal to feel hungry. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Your body will adapt. And it's actually a very healthy thing to experience. Yeah, yeah. I like how you said the coconut oil. That, that's good because I like to do that too. And then mm -hmm. um, and then just going outside in nature, I try to meditate, you know, just, okay, let's, let's let this pass. But it seems like after the second or third day, it's like the hunger, the hormone, it, it peaks. And then it just kind of plateaus, right? I mean, that's- yeah. That seems to be, and, and I remember, you know, with me, when I, when I've gone four days, it's like, wow, I should have just kept going, but it's, but it's almost, I wanted to eat because it's like a psychological thing. Like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten. I need to eat, but really, I don't really have to. <laughs> exactly. It's more psychological and physiological. And you're right. After day two, ghrelin begins to decrease and the fast gets much easier. Day two is usually the hardest day for most people. But once you break through that, it's very, very uh, sustainable. Day two, you said day two? Yeah, day two is usually the hardest for most people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree big time. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So where can the audience find you? Kind of tell a little bit about, well, I already said in the beginning on your website, but anything else you have coming up in the upcoming months or... Well, the book, the book would be great uh, if you if you want to learn more about my four pillar approach to keto and fasting. I also teach carnivore and sleep in the book. Then you could buy the book on Amazon. If you go to ketoflexbook.com, it goes right to the Amazon page. It's available on Kindle. It's available on paperback. I'm in the process of recording the audiobook. Uh, that would be a great resource. And then I also have a podcast, Keto Camp Podcast. And uh, I'm all over social media. I've just typed in my name. I'm on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. YouTube's probably our biggest platform. Just type in Keto Camp, Camp with a K on YouTube. And we just want to get out the information and teach you these ancient healing strategies, which we know could heal your body and get you the results you want. Yeah, well, that sounds great. So, all right, Ben. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up for today. And I look forward to working with you again in the future. So thank you. Thank you, Jessica, for the awesome conversation and the invitation. I appreciate you. No, this has been great. Thank you. Thanks. All right. This has been the Holistic Keto Goddess podcast with Jessica Ankaya. Follow the Holistic Keto Goddess on social media like Pinterest, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions about today's show or how you can live a healthier life, 
visit HolisticKetoGoddess.com and go more in-depth with blogs and healthy living resources. Like, share, subscribe, and listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast with Jessica Ankaya.